This morning is week three, um, six-week class. We're going to talk about science today. Really, week three and week four are kind of the same. We're talking about the natural world and science. They kind of, the more I look at it, the more they intermingle together. So some of the stuff I'm talking about today could be considered just natural world science kind of stuff. Uh, next week, because I'm going on vacation this afternoon, um, Tim King will be teaching my class next week for me. Um, and then there will be two more weeks after that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, ancient rocks, the flood, different bones that we find in the ground. And then uh, week six, we'll talk about anthropology and mythology. Uh, today, we're going to talk about, we're going to do a little review from last week, talk about science in the Bible. We'll talk about some medical knowledge that the Bible has, the design of the human body, um, some biomimicry, and proof of the Big Bang Theory. Question mark. <laughs> uh, last week we talked about Dakota Hammurabi. Robbie. Um, this was a quote that I had. The gods have jobs while Yahweh have a plan. And David asked me the source on that. That's from... Ancient Near Eastern Thought and the Old Testament, written by John H. Watson. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we also talked about the letters written from Canaan to the Pharaoh king when the Israelites were trying to uh, take over Canaan. Uh, we talked about the the, Del, the Teldan, um, that it references the house of David 200 years after his death. We talked about the uh, Hezekiah's tunnel and the, the feat it was to dig that so such a long distance underground through rock with uh, just axes and lanterns. Pretty cool. And then the, uh, the little uh, scrolls that were inscribed, the silver scrolls that were microscopically inscribed, which is pretty cool. Uh, today, science and Christianity, we, we perceive a lot of times that we're at, at odds with science. That Christianity is against science because of these reasons, because of ignoring Galileo and we don't, we refuse to accept Darwinism. But really the real conflict is not Christianity versus science, but it's creationism versus naturalism. Uh, in fact, you have to have Christianity to make science make sense. Because as Christians, we say the universe is orderly, and to have science is to say that the world is orderly. To be able to have an experiment, repeat that experiment, and have other people repeat that experiment. If the universe was chaotic, then that wouldn't happen. You wouldn't be able to do that. Um, we have a good good reason for what we believe in. I'm going to have some different scriptures. Some of these scriptures I have written on my paper, and uh, you're welcome to look them, look them up as well. Job 28, 25 through 26. Uh, it goes, When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. So we believe God... Gave the world order. 
Today, many in the church have a hard time resolving our culture, science, modern science, uh, you know, the pressures of nationalism, that naturalism that we have in the world with uh, what we believe in church. And I've heard people say that, you know, maybe God used natural processes to bring about creation. You know, um, the problem with that is that they don't mix. If you really look at them, there's conflict there. So you're constantly choosing, well, do I ignore this or do I accept this? Which way do I go? Do I lean towards modern science or do I lean towards creationism? Uh, I've heard people say that uh, Genesis is uh, one day is a thousand years or one day is a million years. Um, and this is to try to resolve the issue between evolution and creationism. <laughs> what we find in science is, uh, here we have a, a quote, one thing we understand about science is modern science discoveries often disprove incorrect ideas people have in the past. And that's true. We have uh, Newtonian physics and Einstein's theories. They push the understanding of, of our knowledge of the world. Uh, but we've made a lot of mistakes. Asbestos, we, we believe that was the, you know, the best fire retardant material that we should have in homes and lead paint. And we've found that these things are extremely harmful to humans and that we should not be using those, or at least in close proximity of people. Uh, many science books are on their, you know, third or, yeah, 10th, 11th, 12th edition. And that, that way they keep them up to date to the most... Uh, current knowledge that we have at the time. As we discussed previous weeks, week one, we talked about the Bible and how uh, it has been transmitted to us throughout time, and there hasn't been any revisions. Uh, there, we've gone back with older manuscripts and, and, and seen that there's been some mistakes in spelling of different words, but for the most part, the whole thing is 100% unrevised. Uh, and down here we have another quote from this book, while the Bible never claims to be a science book, it does claim to be inspired by God. And like I may add, some parts of it 3,500 years old. Moses uh, spent much time in Egypt and would have been educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. And that's in Acts 7.22. It says his, uh, and he was mighty in his understanding, or in his words and deeds. This uh, document here is talking about Egyptian medicine at the time, some of the things that they were been using during Moses' time, that he would have had knowledge of these medical practices that the Egyptians considered to be their modern medicine at the time. Many of these, though, were not very good. They were very harmful. They, they were... Worse sometimes than just leaving it alone. Um, so why didn't Moses include these remedies in the Mosaic <coughs> Law if they were, you know, at the up and coming at the time? <coughs> so here's Leviticus. This is found in Leviticus. Leviticus, sorry, Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus, seventeen eleven. It says, "For the life of flesh." is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your soul, souls. For it 
is in the blood that makes atonement for life. So today we know that blood is super important for life. We have to have it. We, we donate blood. You know, they say save a life by donating blood. Life is actually really is in the blood. Um, we didn't always believe that. Uh, in the Middle Ages, they would do, you know, leeches. Try to, they thought that there was a vapor in your blood. They would do bloodletting. They would cut people's uh, elbows and release blood to thinking they're letting the illness out when really, in fact, they're just uh, making them weaker. So, if only they would have looked to the Bible. Huh? Uh, some more medical knowledge. Um, germs, fever, dealing with dead bodies. In Numbers 19.12, uh, He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify, purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Well, in 1847, I don't know, you guys probably heard this story. I know my wife said she uh, read it to the kids in one of the school books they had. But this obstetrician in, in Austria, he uh, was upset about the mortality rates of women after they had given birth. And this was not only in his hospital, but all of Europe. Their death rates were at 18%. That's, that's one in five. That's, that's just crazy. And the, the bad thing is, is if they would have had birth at home, they would only had a 3% death rate. So if they decided to seek out medical attention, they were five times more likely to die. So what he decided to do, he started watching these young medical students, and they would do autopsies, and then they would just rinse their hands off in some bloody water, and they would all share the same tile, and then they would go examine a, a live woman. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. But he said, let's start washing. Everybody wash your hands after every exam, and you wash them with some uh, chlorine solution. Watch very thoroughly. And as soon as he's done that, all of the uh, death rates went down below 3%. Did you have something, Doug? No, I didn't. Oh. Goodness. So that's a, that was a discovery in 1847, but yet uh, we have here in Numbers, which would have been 1400s BC saying wash after you touch dead bodies. So that's kind of unique, kind of interesting that they knew that. Yes, Wes? I've read that 196 of the laws and the law of Moses were about how to avoid uh, diseases uh, from bloodborne diseases. A significant number, a third of the laws were there about how to not get sick. God didn't spell out what bacteria was, right. but he told people how to not get... One of the promises was you will not have all these diseases that you saw in Egypt. Egypt was disease, plague-borne, uh, and he promised it when they went to the land that if they would do these basic, what we would now call basic, basic uh, 
ways of keeping disease from being passed from person to person today. Not only uh, not have these diseases, but they would have less infertility than, than the people need. To we're we're going to cover some more of these. Uh, here's quarantine. We all remember being quarantined, right? So back in Leviticus, I can't say that word today for some reason, 1346, uh, it talks about covering your mustache or upper lip when you uh, yell out if, you, if you're sick. Um, this says, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And it goes on to talk about what they should do with the garments of the individuals that are sick. It says that they should burn them so that there's no way that that stuff can be passed on. Um, so again, this keeps the disease from spreading, like Wes is saying. Things that we see as common sense today, just because we've learned about these things. But during that time, that would have been not, not a common practice by anybody. So he says, in order to please a God, to please the creator of the universe, do these things. And so they did them. Uh, but uh, uh, any, any, any eruption of the skin of any kind, from a scratch to uh, when women had a period, uh, that was considered blood was potentially... Contagious, and they went through some process. They used hyssop, which is a now it's an obvious known way to clean uh, bacteria and things off of your skin. as a cleansing part before they went to the priest. Thank you, Wes. Uh, the kosher laws are in Leviticus 11, 13, <laughs> in chapter 11. Uh, so in Deuteronomy, here in uh, First, chapter 10, verse 4 through 5, this is talking about where the laws came from. The laws come from God. And uh, he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are as the Lord commanded. So all, all Moses is saying, all these laws that I'm getting are from God. And these um, kosher laws are important because, like Wes said earlier, this keeps the spread of disease low. Uh, they're not going to be contacting food that has, uh, like if they were eating reptiles, they were very high in salmonella. Uh, a lot of different diseases and, and bacteria that, they're just going to be preventing by just not dealing with this type of uh, this type of food. I don't know if anybody knows who those people are. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, circumcision. Uh, I know a lot of you guys have heard this before, but the eighth day, uh, the body requires this uh, vitamin C stuff. This. I don't know how to say that word, in the platelets for the clotting. And on the day that they're born, that, that is 90% in their body. And on day three, it dips down to 35%. So your body starts making it. And as it's producing day eight, it actually reaches 110%, which is the highest that it is in your body ever. 
and that's when they say do the circumcision. That's perfect time for surgery because your clotting factor is at the highest. And in Genesis, he says, he, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So it's pretty, uh, pretty cool that he tells you the exact day when, you know, until modern science tells us exactly why it's the eighth day. It's kind of neat. Cute babies. <laughs> uh, sewage and waste. Um, here's uh, 1846 in London. They had this cholera epidemic. 16,000 people died just basically because they had too much waste everywhere. So the fact that Moses instructed people to, well, I'll read Deuteronomy 23:12 for you. You shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools and you shall sit down outside you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrements. So he's saying, go dig a hole, poop in it, bury it. That's what he's saying. Right? It doesn't spread disease. So, but here, here in the 1800s, they just had waste everywhere and people died because of it. If only we would have known, huh? Uh, here, we'll, we're going to switch gears a little bit. I'm only, I don't think you think I have one slide on biogenetics, but uh, I think uh, Tim will talk a little bit more about this next week. This is the beginnings of life. And, you know, <laughs> this is definitely the battle between creationism and naturalism because scientists wants to say evolution, enough time, something will come from nothing type of deal. And we have found with throughout, thousands of scientists have designed carefully planned experiments to create life from something non-living and yet have failed miserably every time. How in the world can we expect to believe that nature did it by accident, chance, or blind force? Uh, Pasteur triumphed over this mythology uh, when he disproved the concept of spontaneous generation through his well-designed scientific experiments. And this was his experiment with the maggots, with the meat, and showed that the meat doesn't just produce maggots, it's because other maggots produce maggots type of deal. So, so the laws and nature, you know, we could go in the, a lot of these in depth, which uh, the flood stuff I'm, I'm gonna say for, for week five, but, uh, the laws of thermodynamics, the law of cause and effect. Like I said, uh, Tim will go into some of that next week, but those things in the Bible, as well as the ship design, uh, it turns out that these dimensions for, are the perfect ratio for a huge boat built for seaworthiness and not speed. In Genesis 6.15, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. And we have done a lot of, engineers have done a lot of uh, testing and designing of ships and found that this is a really good ratio if you want to build a huge ship for a lot of weight. So just kind of move into uh, human design a little bit. Uh, here in Psalms 
139.14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, the, bo the human body is one of the most complex things on, on the planet. Uh, it's, it's amazing all the different functions we have. Well, I'm just going to cover them kind of briefly. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of time, but just kind of briefly. Here's uh, just a regular cell, a cell by itself, a generic cell, and how phenomenal it is. Cells are beautifully organized and extremely complex. Each human cell is able to communicate with other cells, dispose waste, reproduce, feed, and repair itself. And... Uh, that's just one cell by itself. You put them together, you get stuff like the, the brain and the central nervous system. Uh, the brain, central nervous system, it produces more than 50 chemicals and dispenses them as they are needed. In a sense, your brain contains its own doctor and pharmacist. Uh, and the brain only produces about 20 watts of electricity, which you couldn't light a light bulb for that. It would be on very, very dimly. So, quite astounding how efficient and how well it works and what all it does. Uh, the scientists still are studying it, trying to understand it, and uh, have not figured it out completely by any means. The uh, human heart and the circulatory system. It's an organ the size of a clenched fist. There's about... 80,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. And with having that many blood vessels and the amount of blood in you, the blood makes a complete cycle from the heart to lungs, back to the heart, through the body, and then back to the heart in about a minute. That's just phenomenal to be able to, to do that. Um, if you compare the artificial heart, which took thousands of hours to design, millions of dollars to build, and hundreds of experiments to test, with a human heart, which is more efficient, which would you have rather have beating in your chest? And so, definitely the human heart. <clears throat> this is uh, probably the most complicated mechanism in the world, the human eye. Um, the eye is connected to the brain by 600,000 nerves, and it sends messages at 300 miles per hour. It's self-cleaning, and it's super strong. Uh, it says that you, you twitch or move your, your eye uh, over 100,000 times in a day. So the muscles in your eye are super strong. That would be equivalent of you uh, walking, a, walking 50 miles in one day for your leg muscles is what it would be. So it would be like doing that every day, walking 50 miles every day to get your <laughs> leg muscles to equal what your eye muscles are doing. You know, it's interesting about the, the eye, that the, the focus lens and everything. What we see is upside down in the eye, but the brain flips it. So we see you upright instead of upside down on your head. Right. Yeah, and then this, uh, this article that I, I got this from, it talks about all the cones and rods and everything in your eye and just all the information that goes in there, how it separates it all and sends it to the brain, it's pretty amazing. And then also, the human ear is uh, very, very interesting. It's able to detect vibrations, sound waves in the air, uh, pitch, loudness, direction, able to focus on where sound is. Uh, the cochlea 
uh, has 25,000 tiny hairs in it that change vibration and electric signals to be sent to the brain. I'm an electrical engineer. I do not understand how a hair can turn something into electricity. I just, <laughs> just blows my mind. Uh, it has design. It must have a designer. That designer is God. Um, and then <clears throat> your nose. It's to hold your glasses in place, right? That's what your <laughs> nose is for. Uh, but the nose actually does a lot of cool things that we don't really think, think about or that we kind of take for granted. It warms the air that you breathe. It filters out dirt and germs. It moistens the air so that your lungs can use it. And it allows you to smell. Uh, you can detect if food is bad or whether it's good to eat. Uh, scientists have spent years studying the sense of smell, and they don't, still don't uh, entirely understand it. And our tongue. Our tongue is a muscle that's attached only on one side, which is kind of unique, that it's able to actually work. Um, it's used to speak, used to help fight off germs. It acts as a cleaner for your teeth. It helps you swallow. It moves food around in your mouth. Um, and my favorite, taste. It, it allows you to taste. Without taste, I mean, how boring would eating be? We got to eat three times a year. Well, we say three times, right? We got to eat every day. Right? <laughs> Some of us eat more than three times, but you got to eat every day. How boring would eating be if you didn't have taste? That would, that would not be fun. It'd just be a chore at that point. A lot of people understand that much more now after COVID, because mm -hmm. a lot of them lost that taste yeah. Yeah. Uh, ability and not fun. You hear me? Yes, sir. The majority of taste is through the nose, smelling. Right. You only have four things the tongue can can recognize, and those four are not all very salt and that kind of stuff along that line. So the nose and the mouth. Involved taste, taste, right? They work food. together. Yep. Awesome. And then, skin. Your skin is an organ, which is kind of neat thinking. But it protects you. It helps temperature control in your body through sweating. It helps hold your water inside your body, um, and the sense of touch. You know, wh why do we have the sense of touch? What do we need that for? You know, we need that to be safe, to protect ourselves, but we need that for affection. For love, right? Um, and it's a barrier from the outside world to the inside world. Without our skin, every little germ would be making us sick all the time. And insects, because you know the insects are outnumber everybody like a thousand to one, right? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, this one, this subject, uh, biomimicry, uh, I found very interesting. Um, it's kind of sciencey. But it's kind of unique to me, I think, because of all the things that, um, you know, we, we're, I'm an engineer. I want to come up with my own idea and make something great and wonderful. But really, the best designer is God. If we look to God and try to copy what he does, we're, we usually are doing pretty good. <coughs> so it means to imitate. So imitating life. Um, there's lots of, in Hebrews 3, 4, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. In 
God told Joe, where were you whenever I decided where the winds would come from, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you, you want to understand human scientists uh, using the scientific method? Where were you when I was doing all of this stuff? Uh, why are you questioning me? We should be afraid to question God when he specifies what he did. We should be pleased to study the mechanical devices that make up this material universe. The body is said to be irreducibly complex. Humanity could not exist if it was not as humans are. Anytime there's a variance from this, we call this something wrong. It's a devolution, devolution, not, right. not a uh, change to make us more functional. Right. Anytime there is a something that is not like it's normal that God created us, it's less, not more. Thank you, Wes. Uh, here we've got flight. We, we've been fascinated with flight since, you know, the early 1900s. And if you look at the fly, the fly is like the fighter jet of the insect world. It can move around, you can't catch it, it just, it's all over the place. And we fully don't understand how it's able to do that. And we have also dragonflies, how they are able to maneuver. Hummingbirds, how they can move their wings to go forward and backward and just look like they're hovering. Um, and of course the hawk, here we have the hawk, which is pretty much looks like the same shape as the, as the B1, huh? Or the B2. So, uh, I'm reminded of the scripture in Matthew 6 where it talks about um, the lilies that even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed as one of these. I kind of think of that verse of same way with technology and with uh, efficiency in, in life. Um, for humans to get the most efficient, quickest, strongest, or whatever property we're looking for, we must turn to God's design. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Velcro or know what Velcro is? I'm pretty sure everybody knows what Velcro is. It, it came from this uh, cockleburr, um, this guy in Switzerland in 1948. He walked his dog and came back and these things were all over him and his dog. And he's like, why is that? How does this work? So he started studying it and he eventually went on to uh, create the hook and loop, uh, which we know as Velcro today. And uh, as you can see on the right, you can see the, the cockleburr, how it has the little hooks on it. And that's what he used for his design. And then spiders, the, uh, the silk from spiders, for pound for pound, the silk uh, of certain kinds of spiders is five times stronger than steel, twice as strong as the material that they currently use in their, their bulletproof vests, and it can stretch 30% further than the stretchiest known nylon, and is twice as flexible. Uh, it can stretch 40% beyond its original length, and it's waterproof. The hard part is getting this from spiders. <laughs> That's the hard part. But they, uh, through their bioengineering stuff, they're able to take some DNA from spiders and put it into goats, and they're able to extract this from goat milk. I've seen an article on that, it's pretty, or a video, and it's pretty cool how they do it. Because spiders, yes, sir? Spiders also have two kinds of goats. They eat the Right. It, it's, 
spiders are unique because they um, are very territorial. You can only fit so many in a certain area. As soon as you exceed that, they start killing each other. So you can't really farm spiders. So that's where they have a, a problem with spiders. But not very friendly. Uh, the lotus leaves, they're super hydrophobic, which means they're very much afraid of water, which that's what that word means anyways. But they, uh, they become, water won't stick to it. So they've been able to make paints and different things like that to where the, the water will beat up and then it runs off and as it runs off it pulls any of the dirt off of it and that's what these leaves get. They get that same benefit. They, the water hits it, it beads up and as it rolls off it pulls any dirt or anything, germs, anything that's on the leaf, it pulls it off as it rolls off onto the ground. So it's kind of self-cleaning. That's what the leaves do and they've made different materials. They're trying to get certain uh, fabrics that are like that for raincoats and different things and of course maybe a you know self-cleaning car that'd be kind of nice <laughs> that's what i have kids for right uh termite engineering the design of termite mounds allows for airflow in a way that will keep the inside environment at 87 degrees the this building in zimbabwe uh was modeled after the termite mound and it stays at a perfect temperature. This uh, Eastgate Central, that they call it, it uses only 10% of the energy that other buildings do in the area. That's just phenomenal to me. To be able to build a building, to it maintains the temperature just by design. Pretty cool. Bullet trains in Japan, uh, they go up to 200 miles per hour or more. Uh, in the past, they had this issue with uh, sound. They are super loud. And when they went into a tunnel, there would be just pressure booms and everything else. And uh, they wanted to fix this. And so they looked to the kingfisher because the kingfisher dives. He's in the air and he dives into the water. And they wanted to see, could they learn something there? And by redesigning the... Uh, the nose of the, the train, as you can see the white one at the top by the bird is the old design and at the bottom is the new design. They were able to re greatly reduce the noise and made the trains 10% faster and 15% less, use less energy. So pretty interesting. Not only did it reduce the sound, but it also helped the efficiency of the train. Did you ever notice uh, you ever get bitten by a mosquito and not realize it until he's already sucked some blood out of you? Uh, it's because he can stick his needle in you without any pain. Wouldn't it be really nice when we go to the doctor to have blood drawn or <laughs> something to say, I want a needle like the mosquito so I don't, get, so I don't feel it. Right? Well, they're researching that and trying to make needles that way. Um, it actually is really tiny and it saws instead of puncturing in. And they only need to use about a third of the amount of pressure going in is what a conventional needle would be. But they're actually made some of these. This one, uh, I don't have any uses for this one yet, but it looks very promising. <laughs> very promising. The slime, the ha hagfish slime. 
uh, on the on the right is a picture of an accident. I guess this was a big truck full of these hagfish, and it just slimed that car. It just covered it all over the road. But this stuff is super expandy, just one thousandth of an ounce of it. If you put it in a bucket, a five-gallon bucket with water, it will expand the size of the bucket in like an instant. Uh, this stuff is super strong. Uh, it's stronger than nylon, and it's a, a hundred times thinner than a human hair, so it can stretch really thin. So they're thinking uh, <coughs> something like airbags, different type of safety equipment, stuff like that, to be able to has great potential to to come. I don't know. Uh, for me, this one, I, I, I guess I've, I've used OLEDs, but I didn't really understand what they were. Um, they're actually organic light-emitting diodes. So we use these all the time. If you look at your technology, you'll see a lot of times you'll have OLEDs displays and things. I've used OLED displays. <coughs> they're based off of the lightning, the lightning bug. Uh, a normal light bulb like a filament, not these, but like a filament light bulb, about 95% of the energy that's coming from that light bulb is heat. You're only getting to use about 5% of that for the actual light that's being displayed. So not efficient at all. Um, we've done a little bit better with LEDs, and now we've done even better with the uh, OLEDs. But uh, the closest thing we have to having light without heat is like a chemical reaction from a glow stick or something. But the problem with that, that only lasts for a certain amount of time and usually that's a low light type of deal. So if humans who are very intelligent have not been able to create designs and structures as efficient as those in nature, then how could evolution have done this by blind chance and accident? Amen. First Corinthians 1 through 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I'm going to try to go through this. This, I, I really like this little bit here, but it's very technical. So I'm going to try to do my best. The point of this class isn't to argue against evolution, even though that's what we're doing because... Like I said before, it's kind of a battle between Christianity and evolution is what it kind of seems like because of it's so prevalent in the, in the world today. But the big, big Bang Theory was suggested that the universe is somehow evenly spread out, but it's not, that's not what we find. In 1948, uh, physicists uh, predicted if the universe began with a Big Bang, then the universe ought to be filled with low-temperature radiation fields. In 1965, the technology became available to test this theory, and behold, there was radiation coming from all directions. The radiation is known today as cosmic microwave background, CMP. Because of that discovery, the Big Bang model has been the dominant or cosmology. cosmology, thank you, for the past half century. I tell my wife the devil's in the details. The details here are we could not get the details because of the Earth's atmosphere. And then in 1989, the first spacecraft, uh, COBE, uh, Cosmic Background Explorer, launched with the ability to measure the CMP. Its job was to map the whole sky, recording slight temperature variations in the CMP. Why? 
Why did we do this? Because the Big Bang model uh, said that early universe must have slight variations in densities to form stars, galaxies, and etc. So the Big ba Bang model required temperature fluctuations of about one part in 10,000. This uh, space, space uh, ship or I guess it was a probe or whatever, was designed to be able to measure these. It was there for two full years, and it did not measure any variances. It was totally smooth. After they did some clever analysis with the data, they did find that there was fluctuations, but it was 100 times less than what they had thought. So they adjusted their model to fit. <laughs> they claimed, once again, this was proof of the Big Bang Theory. Then in 1999, they launched the, the WMAP and to measure the smaller variations in the CNP. The data of the WMAP was believed to confirm the theory. However, there were anomalies that they could not explain. So, scientists believe that these statistical flukes that would go away once more precise data became available. Well, in 2009, with the launch of this spacecraft, new equipment was available to measure and map the CMP. And they came up with the same thing. It was exactly the same map, which, so it's not anomalies, right? So this area where the line is, this is called the axis of evil. And there's a cold spot called the CMP cold spot. Scientists are unable to explain the anomalies. And the interesting thing about the axis of evil is that it's the exact same plane as the Earth's solar system. So with it being the exact same plane, this would point to local microwave background, or LMP. But if CMP is really LMP, then it can't be proof for the Big Bang model. So what do scientists do? They ignore the axis of evil in the cold spot. <laughs> so the ancient psalmist writes, the entirety of the word is truth, and every one of you righteous judgments, of you righteous judgments, endure forever. His assessment was exactly right, from the largest ship to the tiniest germ. And that is it. Any questions?